The Old Testament reading for today is from the prophet Isaiah, the 45th chapter, beginning in the first verse. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. The epistle lesson today is from Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. First chapter, first verse. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. 
and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Through his prophet Isaiah, God is speaking to a future king of Persia, one who will be used as God's instrument to rescue captive Israel, rescue them, uh, bring them back to the promised land, bring them out of their exile in Babylon. And he even names the future king. He says his name is Cyrus. It's amazing. And we know from history, uh, even from archaeology, that Cyrus, as he would conquer peoples, would uh, let them continue to worship their own gods. In fact, Cyrus even, in some sense, worships that god. He would make sacrifice to whatever god that is. He would even rebuild some temples uh, and his point is that he wants those gods to speak to his God and tell his God what a good guy he is. And if you want to know more about that, you can look on the internet. Look for the Cyrus Cylinder. The Cyrus Cylinder was discovered in ancient Babylon in... I have it written down. I can't remember. Yeah, 1879 cylinder. And it describes some of these things about Cyrus. So you can see that in Wikipedia. It's kind of interesting, so you might want to look that up. Isaiah says, For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and I'm going to substitute the, the name Yahweh for Lord here because it's kind of important in our reading. God says that Cyrus doesn't know Yahweh, but Yahweh knows Cyrus. And it's kind of ironic because the people are there in Babylon because of their unwillingness to know Yahweh. 
Yahweh makes himself known to Israel, and Israel wants other gods. They don't want to know Yahweh. But Yahweh has put his name on them. He has called them, he says, to be his own possession. God planted Israel in the promised land like, like a vineyard in a good land. But they refused to know uh, Yahweh. They went looking for other gods, the gods of wood and stone, the gods of the nations around them. And so Yahweh brought calamity on his own people to wake them up, to bring them back to himself. In 722 BC, he had the Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, carried them off into captivity, and 150 years later, Judah is still worshiping other gods, and so the Babylonians come and conquer Judah and take away the the cream of the people, the, the, the best, the, the most beautiful, the wealthiest, the most influential, take them all to Babylon and leave a small remnant back there in the promised land. Isaiah predicts this destruction that's coming in response to Israel's rampant idolatry and then, incredibly, Isaiah names the king, the king, Cyrus, that is going to set the people free to return back to their own land. It's going to be 160 years between Isaiah's prophecy and when Cyrus does this. But Cyrus is going to be Yahweh's instrument in this. So one of the things that we know about Cyrus is that it was customary for the king, Cyrus, to take his god's hand, Marduk's hand, on New Year's Day. Kind of a, you know, we're going to walk into the New Year together, Marduk and me. You know, and you people better do what I say. Here in Isaiah, the true God, Yahweh, takes Cyrus's hand. Yahweh alone, not Marduk, not any other god, Yahweh alone directs history. And Babylon is going to be overthrown. God's people are there in Babylon, but God has also predicted that that exile would end after 70 years. So Cyrus in Persia is going to conquer Babylon while the Jews are there. And uh, the gates of the city, it says, are strong. They're made of bronze and iron. Babylon is quite a nation, quite a strong nation. And they are symbolic, those gates of bronze and iron. They are symbolic of the captivity of the Jews. God's people could only dream about Jerusalem, dream about the beautiful hills, back home. They would long to be there. They sing songs about it. They dream about Jerusalem and the beautiful Jordan River and surrounding hills. And it seemed that gone forever was the singing of the psalms, uh, the smells of the sacrifices, the sounds of the temple, Passover, the other feasts that were celebrated as part of their remembrance of their past. 
The gates of the city hold them prisoner. They're exiled from the land that God had given them. Thus says Yahweh to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belt of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. Yahweh is going to break down those strong gates of bronze and iron. Nothing is going to stand in God's way, in Yahweh's way, as he works his salvation for the people. And so in 539 B.C., Cyrus and the, the uh, army of Persia, they surround the city of Babylon. And Cyrus's military uh, exploits and reputation the strength of his army, they were so well known that the priests of Babylon, not the, not the priests of Israel, but the priests of Babylon declared that their god Marduk had chosen a new king. They threw their king under the bus and they opened the gates and welcomed Cyrus in and said, come on in. That's how God opened those strong gates of bronze and iron. As prophesied in Isaiah, the gates of the city were simply opened to allow Cyrus and his army in. See, nothing is a match for Yahweh as he works his salvation. And the gates that hold us, you know, if those gates represent uh, captivity for the people of Israel, what are the things that seem to hold us captive? What are the gates hanging on to us, keeping us uh, closed in, keeping us away from God, away from each other, away from, from loving our neighbor, etc.? What are those gates? What are the things that oppress you? When sin and the depravity of our flesh result in guilt and shame for us that, that bind us. God promises, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Also in Isaiah. When the darkness of depression or loneliness or helplessness cover us and, and threaten to overwhelm us, God says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light also in Isaiah. When it seems as though uh, there are huge roadblocks road that are insurmountable, they're set in the way of God's purpose and will for his people. And boy, have we experienced some with our building, right? Then God says, Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low, and the crooked ground will become level, and the rough places a plain. Also Isaiah. When God's people are surrounded by the enemy, when they're backed up against the Red Sea and there's no way out except the road back to captivity, except the road back to Egypt and slavery, Yahweh opens the waters of the sea and makes a way through the waves 
on dry ground for his people. And when his people seem to be nothing but dry bones, Yahweh brings life even to those dry bones. Cyrus does not know Yahweh. Yahweh says to him, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. God knows Cyrus. He's able to use Cyrus to accomplish his good for his people. God is able to use all kinds of things for the good of his people. And sometimes God resides in that darkness. Um, there's a book, uh, Grace Upon Grace, and, and uh, Ginny was reading a little bit of it to me, and it talked about how we don't go from darkness to the light of God, but rather God calls us often through darkness to him. There is certainly darkness in our lives because we live in a sin-broken world, because we ourselves are sinful. There is that darkness there, but God is there with us. There in the darkness. God is able to use even the darkness in our lives to accomplish his good purpose. He says, For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. It's for the sake of God's people that God raises up Cyrus. <clears throat> All that God does, he does for the sake of the elect, for the sake of his chosen people. This is not the only place where we see God working, using events and people to accomplish his purpose. We see it all through the scriptures. We see it all through our lives, all through history. But our text in Isaiah is a comfort to us as we live today, as we live day by day in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity and to biblical values. In our text here today in Isaiah, we get a glimpse, we get a glimpse behind the curtain to see what's going on. We don't always get that, but here we see it. What is God doing behind the scenes? God reveals that Israel's exile in Babylon is for a purpose, that God can orchestrate even world events and leaders to accomplish his good and perfect will. And that's important for us to remember each day that he works good in all circumstances for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For the sake of Jacob, for the sake of Israel, for the sake of you. See, because we are part of Israel by faith, Paul says, we are the true Israel, all who believe in Jesus, all who believe in the true uh, Trinity are Israel. God used Cyrus to open those gates, to set the captives free, because one of the things Cyrus did uh, a year after he conquered Babylon is he decreed that the Jews could go home to their homeland. You want to read more about that? Re, uh, read um, Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's a history of the remnant coming back, rebuilding the temple. And they didn't just do it on their own. Cyrus sent money with them. He sent um, goods with them, gold and silver and all kinds of things, 
to rebuild that temple. And we said in the beginning that was one of his um, hallmark traits was that he even rebuilt temples of other gods. So Cyrus probably had ulterior motives in doing this. But it's God we see here in Isaiah. It's God who made it happen. God who did it. God used Cyrus. He used Caiaphas, the high priest, the enemy of Jesus, to orchestrate the crucifixion of the Holy Son of God at the hands of sinful men. He used unbelieving Judas to perpetrate what seemed to be the, the greatest tragedy, travesty in the history of the world, which resulted in the greatest good, the putting to death of our sin, the opening, the shattering of the gates of sin and shame and guilt that held us. Those who opposed Jesus plotted his overthrow. They came to him in our gospel lesson, tried to entangle him in, in some, uh, some trick question that had no way out. Uh, it's, it's a very good question. Tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Because it's a big deal that they're under Roman rule and uh, it's a big deal that they have to pay taxes to a foreign king and they know they shouldn't have to do that because they're God's people. What will Jesus say? What can he say? If it's okay to pay taxes to Caesar, he's going to lose the respect of the people. And if it's not okay to pay taxes to Caesar, then they can turn him in as a revolutionary to the Romans. They think they've got him. But Jesus' mission is not to quibble over who's ruling Israel. Yahweh is the true king, the true ruler. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. God is doing something much more grand and glorious than just throwing off Roman rule. Jesus has come to break down the powerful gates of bronze and iron that hold all of humanity captive to sin and the death that results from that sin. Jesus has come to bring the healing that God promised to his people. Promised first in the Garden of Eden and then throughout the scriptures, throughout history. Healing that will come with the ultimate sacrifice. When the sins of the world are placed on the Son of God and he becomes the sacrificial lamb that takes away all sin. For the sake of my servant Jacob, for Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am Yahweh and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from the west and from the west that there is none besides me. I am Yahweh and there is no other. The Lord Yahweh knows you. That same God who raised up Cyrus for the good of his people knows you. And for your sake God has destroyed the gates of hell and death with resurrection. The flesh and blood of the sacrifice he gives to you today right into your mouth for the forgiveness of your sins, for the strengthening of your faith. God knows you 
He knows you in the waters of your baptism. He's claimed you. He's put his name on you, called you by name, and said, you are mine. It's easy to look around us today, look at the headlines, look at what's going on, and to think there's no way God is in control. It seems like evil is winning as uh, the society spirals downward, that uh, evil is winning, that Satan is in control, opposing God's work. And then we hear the words of Jesus calling out to his Father to forgive those who are nailing him to the cross. And we marvel that God the Father forsook Jesus, that it was for condemnation that Jesus was chosen and anointed as the sacrificial lamb so that evil could be overcome, so that the mighty gates of hell could have no grip on you, could not keep you in, so that they would be unable to hold us. And as Satan, that great dragon, is thrashing around trying to take God's chosen people down, God is not thwarted. He makes us righteous, he makes us pure and holy, and he calls us to himself. He gives us faith to believe in our Savior, and as much as Satan would like to stop that, would like to take your faith from you, to keep it from happening, God moves ahead with his loving will and his loving purpose to save lost sinners. And even evil must bow, even take a role in our being reconciled to God. Evil can't change it. Evil can't stop it. The gates of hell are no match for the sacrificial love for the blood of Christ poured out. In Christ, there is true freedom from real captivity. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Yahweh equips Cyrus. He calls him by name. He takes his hand, though Cyrus doesn't know him. You get the feeling that it's Cyrus doesn't really understand what's going on here. To Cyrus, it's just another god. He doesn't really know Yahweh. It's all orchestrated by God so that many, many people will know God. So that from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none besides him. He is Yahweh and there is no other. He forms light, he creates darkness. He makes well-being and creates calamity. He is Yahweh who does all these things. And this same Yahweh calls you, creates faith in your heart. He's made himself known to you so that you could know him, so that you could put your trust in him and in his chosen one, Jesus, your Savior and your King. May Yahweh's name be blessed forever. Amen.